Hello, welcome to Data Talks. Payment of bribes, illegal political campaign financing, cartel behavior, overbilling of public purchases or of construction works. Those are some corrupt activities that public administration all over the world must protect themselves from. The fight against corruption is something that unites countries all over the world. Even though the faces of corruption in Brazil and Germany might be different, similar challenges, of course, to different degrees can be found in both countries. Just recently, corruption cases associated with the COVID-19 pandemic have affected both countries. In Germany and Brazil, the purchasing of COVID-19 individual protection equipment and the roles of various politicians in the buying process of overpriced masks, for example, was discussed all over the media. This shows a bigger problem. While politicians may have a facilitating role in the purchasing process and are allowed to have additional income if they publish it, this can also be tempting to get a piece of the cut. Transparency of the whole process is key and highlights one of the main elements in the fight against corruption. In the case of Germany, for example, the discussions around the so-called mass deals had a massive impact on the recent elections in Germany. In this regard, public opinion often flares up when we talk about corruption, mostly due to an unmoralistic component of the Corruption Act. Uh, the task of fighting corruption sounds too big for a single individual, and therefore, many expect the rise of a saving power that will both clean public administration and avenge the people. Unfortunately, we don't have heroes in real life. We need, however, to find realistic and sustainable ways to find corruption, but also to measure, often, the unknown. With this in mind, public data is not only a way to hold governments accountable, but also an important tool to help public bodies, the press and civil society to investigate public activities and ascertain accusations against public administration. Information, data, and transparency are an important strategy in order to fight corruption. And today we have three special guests to talk about this with us. And usually we talk about um, who is from Germany, who is from Brazil, but today this is a little bit mixed up. But before that, I would like to introduce you again to Mara Mendes, who is co-moderating this episode with us. Uh, she's a Master of Science, a specialist in corruption, and also a PhD candidate here in the Institut für Politikwissenschaft uh, in the University of Münster. Pleasure to be here with you again, Jessica. And from Brazil, it's my great pleasure to introduce the Master of Arts, Juliana Sakai, Chief of Operating Officer at the Brazilian anti-corruption NGO Transparência Brasil. Juliana holds a bachelor degree in international relations from the University of Sao Paulo and a master's degree in political science from the Leofana Universität in Lunenburg here in Germany. In the last nine years, Juliana has worked in the field of corruption fighting, leading projects on public transparency, social participation, and accountability. She also represents Transparency Brazil as a civil society member in government and multilateral forums and international, national and subnational level, such as Transparency Councils of the Brazilian Office of the Controller General, Brazilian Senate, 
and Sao Paulo's state government. Welcome, Juliana. Thank you, Jessica, for this very long and nice introduction. I feel very honored to be here talking to you. And today from Germany, we receive Dr. Bianca Vajmondu. She holds the PhD in governance from the Hertha School in Berlin, in Germany, and she has pre previously contributed to research activities in the EU-funded project Anticorp at Erkas, together with Professor Dr. Alina Mungiu-Pipidi. Her research interests include evidence-based anti-corruption approaches and the relationship between democratic accountability institutions and corruption. Besides her academic experience, she has worked in a number of government monitoring projects, also with, also with the NGO Transparencia Brasil, where she was recently elected to the board of directors. Welcome, Bianca. Hello, thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, um, might I add, um, we're uh, particularly happy today that Bianca joined us. She has uh, struggling with, been struggling with her voice, so we all know um, this is going to be quite a challenging hour for her, but we're really happy that you made it today. Yes, I'll do my best. <laughs> I have the pleasure of um, starting the discussion today with the first question, which I would like to direct to Bianca. Um, since Bianca has been doing research and a lot of work to find new evidence-based approaches of measuring a corruption, we're very curious to know what you think are the most promising ways to measure corruption. Yes, I mean, to start, of course, we know that the underlying problem is that corruption is such a hidden phenomenon that a phenomenon that is uh, difficult to observe and of course to measure. So that's the main challenge that everybody faces when trying to come up with an approach. And what we have for a longer time that is more established and uh, for which we have, for instance, uh, data available for, for many countries for uh, over, I think, two decades now are uh, what are known as perception-based indicators where people actually use several existing surveys where experts and business people are asked about uh, how they see uh, corruption is um, uh, the situation of corruption in, in their respective countries where, where they uh, work and are um, active. And uh, based on those opinions, there are these indicators that um, aggregate several of surveys to sort of reduce the noise, the differences that people might have in these opinions to come up with, with a figure that we can then compare countries, for instance, on what would be a level of perceived corruption. Of course, this has some challenges of, of its own in using this type of source, but this is what people have, let's say, for a longer time had in order to have an idea of how uh, corruption differs across uh, uh, different countries in different contexts. Also, another approach that we have is um, a different type of survey where people are asked about their direct experience of corruption. So these are really experience-based indicators where people are asked, for instance, um, whether they have paid a bribe or were asked for a bribe at a public some kind of public service or some public institution. So this, you, you also have this type of approach, but of course this captures one part of the problem. So not 
everybody would have direct experience with any kind of corruption. So more high level corruption involving top officials might be something that is not really captured by this type of indicator. And what I have um, personal experience with for my uh, doctoral research are um, indicators based on, for instance, audit results. So you also have in, in research on corruption, a lot of um, um, papers, uh, a lot of literature using, um, let's say, real findings on corruption cases and trying to estimate then a corruption level from this type of material. So this comes a little bit closer to the actual phenomenon. So this is corruption that has been uncovered through state action and enforcement. Uh, I used, for instance, I was working with uh, audit results from Brazilian municipalities on my research. There is a lot of literature also using this source on Brazil, and there are also from other countries similar, similar uh, sources. But then here we face the challenge of what kind of coverage can you achieve with this type of information because data collection is very cumbersome and time intensive. So here you, uh, it works for some purposes. It's uh, an interesting indicator that comes closer to actual corruption, but you cannot really cover 100 countries and for a long period of time because this is difficult to collect. But what I see as a big innovation, really promising um, type of data that has been um, used in, in recent years, where I probably think it's a, a breakthrough in terms of research, but not only, I mean, it, it can also be used for other purposes, is, and it relates to uh, some of the examples that you mentioned in the introduction, is public procurement data. By now, we have efforts for, of data collection from public procurement uh, uh, processes in different countries. Again, coverage is maybe at this point not so um, wide to compare with uh, in, uh, data that we have, for instance, from the perception-based indicators. But there you have really huge amounts of data available in, in a number of countries where you can use uh, technology and artificial intelligence to uh, assess this data and create indicators where you also come closer to, to the phenomenon of corruption in a field where it happens really very often, which is public procurement. So it's a very high risk area in public administration. Uh, and there I see really a lot of potential being realized already. And it can only increase as more countries open up data in this field. And we have uh, uh, interesting initiatives to, on open contracting to uh, promote open contracting uh, standards and more and more countries or, or um, even local administrations join and adopt these standards. So I think this is a field where there's a lot of movement and with a lot of promising uh, perspectives for measuring, measuring corruption. Thank you very much. That has been already a really great overview of, um, well, not only ways to measure corruption, but also uh, its importance to do so. Um, so maybe um, we can dig deeper into that a bit later. I think uh, Jessica wanted to uh, ask the next question or... Yeah, no, I was like, I was waiting for you were <laughs> like, we are coordinated this. We are in virtual environment. This is a little bit, yeah, we are, we are facing challenges of recording this. 
outside in one only one environment when you can actually go over each other i have a lot uh, I, I have some questions for bianca but i was also uh, would like to bring juliana to this conversation uh, transparencia brasil is an ngo which i had the pleasure to work uh, for four or five years in my life uh, and which whose mission is to promote uh, transparency as social monitoring of public administration so Juliana, I would like to you uh, to explain to our audience uh, the work of Transparencia Brasil and how are the main sources and type of information that enables the work of the organization. And if you could also share with us what you already achieved uh, with this process of working with public data. Well, Jessica, first of all, we had the pleasure to have you for four or five years. <laughs> it was it's always really nice to work uh, with such great women like you and Bianca. Uh, well, Transparencia Brasil uh, is an NGO, so it uh, it's like civil uh, it's a civic organization, uh, civil society organized uh, in order to promote integrity, transparency, and social auditing. So we um, have a great focus on fighting against, corrupt, fighting against corruption. Uh, and we do this mainly by uh, bringing transparency, pushing for transparency uh, in, the, in the government, and also promoting uh, a more vibrant civil society. Now, we, we understand that uh, the information is important for us to understand what is going on, to make our, our uh, points, uh, to make our, uh, to try to help designing policy, but it's also for people. It's also to uh, elevate the discussion uh, on government, on how uh, the government is taking decisions, how the government is using public's money to push for, to, to provide any uh, service or uh, uh, deliver uh, a policy, for example. So we have been uh, working a lot. We have more than 20 years right now, uh, and we have uh, been fighting for a long period for the, uh, we didn't have until 10 years ago, uh, freedom of information law. So we have been, we uh, fought a lot for uh, a freedom of information act. Nah? Uh, and uh, and since we, we got this, this, this law uh, enacted 10 years ago, we have been using it a lot to get information. We th there are some information that are public, and we can and we use this information that there is already public uh, to make our analysis, uh, or we request further information of the government, um, or require that this information get trans transparent so people can use it and make its uh, its analysis uh, and evaluations. So we, we have been focusing a lot uh, on public purchases, for example. So as Bianca said, this, this is a... Uh, if you hear something strange in the background, this is my dog saying hello to you. Uh, just just for you to know. Uh, so we, we, have that, we have a lot of uh, information which is already public available. And this, this uh, public purchases data is 
is always there because you have legally you have the, the governments are obliged to uh, in Brazil to uh, provide this kind of information. Uh, we we analyze this this kind of data uh, to compare, for example, uh, prices. Uh, why a city is buying for such a much higher price for a similar product than another city, and we do this. Um, really using this data, but treating this data, uh, and this is the main, uh, and, and this part of treating the data is the main, uh, is the huge uh, bottleneck on this process because you don't have in interoperating data. You have data in different formats. Sometimes it's not even usable. Uh, so we spend a lot of time treating this data and, and incorporating it in a way that it can be used, in a way that we can compare things, in a way that we can say, oh, here this price, this this price is too much, and and this is not uh, uh, how it should have been. So this is one area of like trying to open uh, data that supposedly is already open <laughs> uh, by the by the government in the federal government and in, in the local government. Uh, we also look, for example, to salaries and benefits of prosecutors and judges, and and this is a, an, an elite of the public service in Brazil, and we are also emerging in scandals involving huge payments uh, in the judiciary and the MP. Uh, we also have been uh, monitoring uh, service delivery, and this is like a, a, a new kind of data that we try to collect because usually we ask people to help us in collecting this data. We we promote a crowdsourcing, yeah. So we have these two kind of data. We have the data that we collect from the the the, the government, treat it, and try to compare and make. Uh, either an analysis or uh, a tool uh, platform, an online tool for people to dig into this data, so promoting this this uh, social auditing, or we have uh, some tools that we would develop to uh, make people provide us data because they are there receiving or not receiving the 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 service the public service so we want to check how how is the quality of the service is there any problem is there some 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 incorrectness or it, uh, something that is really wrong that may be uh, connected to corruption or maybe it's just co uh, connected to a bad uh, uh, bad government bad uh, bad ruling um, was it a bad purchase? Can we connect this per this bad quality to uh, a, a, a bad uh, decision on public purchase as well? So this is where we we try to connect from the bidding process to payments and to delivery, yeah? and we try to monitor all this uh, this flow. Uh, but in a broader sense, we have been also looking for other information, uh, like, uh, for example, algorithmic transparency. We have been we have been developing uh, models uh, and AI models and machine learning models to help us analyzing data. But we 
also have been monitoring how government is using this because for us it's important that at the end of the day the public can uh, trust uh, a model that will uh, uh, regulate how a policy may work and may impact how a citizen will receive or not receive a public good or a public service, for example. So there, there are like, uh, transparency is this transversal uh, um, aspect in the government where we can, at the end of the day, work with different thematic areas from uh, public nursing uh, being delivered or not as public works, uh, constructing works. Uh, if uh, we are looking at which kind of um, uh, system, AI system is being used uh, to, to any, to, for, in, in, for any reason in the public service, uh, how the salaries and benefits of, of the judicial system uh, is being uh, is being paid uh, how uh, in which level so we we can at the end of the day uh, partner and try to provide and and push for more transparency in a lot of different areas that will impact uh, the citizen and uh, the public good in general. Well, thank you very much for uh, the explanation, Juliana. It's so, uh, I was, I could not stop thinking some of these projects, of course, I know because I, I was there, <laughs> but also I was thinking about the literature of fighting corruption and you know, they, there are some authors uh, who has this, who emphasize a strategy of fire alarm, which is when servicing delivery is not being made, the public, uh, the citizens must, um, you know, set up the alarm. And it's so funny that uh, sometimes the administration doesn't have a, a channel to send the alarm and how the NGOs also need to do that, to, need to create or at least raise awareness of this need of creating a way to set the alarm. This is with uh, servicing deliver with, with um, uh, school meals is is one of these cases uh, because sometimes we have like uh, in a local level or in, in a specific level okay we have someone to complain but we if you're talking in a broader level we don't have this we as citizens i mean we there is no not always this uh this channel so i think it's really interesting uh how transparency works uh in the two-way round uh, not only uh top down but also bottom up and actually, there's a lot of questions coming. <laughs> uh, I want to state one question, and then I'm going to read one of the questions that are coming here. Uh, so uh, Bianca was talking earlier about the strategy of using public procurement data as a way to find corruption, or I, I imagine, uh, Bianca, that we are talking about uh, fighting uh, corruption evidence, right? And I would like, if it's possible, to talk a little bit more about it. And I would like to share an experience that Mara and I have here in Germany. We try to look in the procurement, uh, data procurement from COVID-19 related purchases here in Nordrhein-Westfalen. And we had uh, similar problems <laughs> that we had in Brazil. I mean, uh, sometimes uh, the data is not so well structured. Sometimes there is lack of important information 
information from one or other really important cities. And at the end, uh, the, the work was uh, not as straightforward as we wanted to. So I would like you, uh, if it's possible, Bianca, to state uh, how is this procurement data in Europe, in your experience? There is uh, a more structured uh, or do we have the same constraints everywhere? I think that in Europe, uh, in general, at the country level, you do have common standards that make this a little bit easier. So I know, for instance, uh, there's uh, a project that uh, ECAS uh, was part of, and there's a platform that is accessible with data on all uh, EU member states and also some additional jurisdictions, including EU uh, organizations called OpenTendered.eu. Open and there you can access a data that is gathered from, uh, but this at a country level, right? So to, there you can compare countries and you can uh, see what is available because I think, uh, as far as I know, there are common requirements as how data is supposed to be published and uh, so there you have some kind of um, uniformity that makes this type of analysis a bit easier. But in your experience, you're looking at subnational level. And then uh, I am not familiar specifically with uh, the provisions in Germany on uh, for for the for the state level, the the lender level, uh, how it works and what the requirements are. But there. As farther you go down the ladder of administration there, the, you get more variation and especially in federalist systems, you if, uh, units uh, have more autonomy and they can do things maybe in, in ways that differ or it ends up being this way because uh, it is difficult to, to uh, implement certain standards at a very disaggregated level. So there, I think it's uh, more common that you face these challenges. So this type of, let's say, common treatment of data, making data understandable and comparable in a way is something that usually comes more from the top than from the bottom, right? So you have to, you need to have some effort of trying to make things uniform, which usually happens when countries, like for instance, federal governments are interested in using the data themselves to for enforcement purposes for investigative purposes or to uh, to for efficiency uh, analysis right uh, so if I, I guess the incentives to have better data come more for uh, when governments really want to use the data themselves to improve policy public policy in general in several fields and then you may have a movement to really improve the quality of data so that it can be better used. Uh, but if you uh, don't necessarily have that type of movement, then sometimes you have data available because there, there is some either requirement or still some understand that data has to be published, but it is sometimes difficult to use. So you have a lot of work necessary to, to make it understandable and uh, really treat it in a way where, where analysis are meaningful. And I have two questions here. I'm going to first take the questions from Mervy Artis. I'm curious about the audits in Brazil. I wonder if they if the content explicitly refers to the term corruption and how the findings are presented officially in this report. For example, are terms like public loss or irregularity are officially used in those reports? This is a question for, from Merv Artis, if I said this correctly. 
Uh, well, from, from my experience, from my uh, research, the, the audits usually, sometimes it's interesting, part, part, of, uh, part of my thesis even uh, deals with the fact that the, uh, let's say, the findings are portrayed in different ways. So sometimes the same type of situation is, um, let's say, uh, portrayed in a much more direct way with terms that are more directly related to corruption uh, and uh, sometimes like embezzlement or things like that or and sometimes they are a little bit more neutral in the description so this was something that i also had to uh, interpret and take into account in the data uh, so there is variation because in the end of the day you have like actual people auditors hundreds or thousands of them and they are looking at different locations and assessing uh, things. And there is some variation in how uh, they, the result of their work uh, comes out. So this is also not very uniform and you have to, you really need a lot of work to interpret this data and code this data and make it something that is uh, even quantitatively uh, analyzable. Yes, that's a challenge. Thank you, Bianca. We have another question from one of the viewers. Um, maybe um, that's also a question to Juliana. Uh, so the question is whether the Brazilian government has been concerned about providing public transparency to encourage social control and democratic participation. Juliana, maybe reply, I think maybe okay. you can contribute. Yeah, so um, Looking back in the past in a macro vision, uh, we, we have seen a lot of efforts of making transparency better. Nah? We have, uh, as I mentioned previously, uh, the Freedom of Information Law was passed and uh, it enabled uh, journalists and other civil society members to get a lot of information. But it's always, of course, uh, not uh, one uh, direction movement, because while in government, uh, people in power also want to hide things that they, they are doing wrong or that may um, be uh, a source for, for uh, criti criticism, right? So we, we have uh, a lot of information uh, being hidden, uh, and there is always uh, been a dispute uh, with some some uh, agencies, especially related to public safety, uh, to uh, external relations, not the, the diplomacy, and uh, now we have been having a lot of uh, the. Uh, in the presidency, we also have have been uh, facing this kind. This is Brizzy saying hello to you, uh, and we have a lot of of this uh, uh, presidency information being hidden as well. So, as what I want to say is that we have a lot of setbacks all the time, uh, and we have always to fight uh, against the the opacity and. Um, particularly now, we have been facing a lot of problems with data, uh, not only in social environment field that has been directly attacked by the government, 
but also in fields like education or um, uh, even like data that we used used to have published uh, is, is suddenly under protection of, of the GDPR, the Brazilian GDPR, you know? So we have been ha having the setbacks a lot and um, uh, it's, it's a little bit like democracy. You have, you have always to be standing for it because there, there will be always um, the interest in hiding information. So uh, that's why you, you need civil society and media uh, strong and uh, vibrant to push for this when the times are uh, more authoritarian like what we're facing right now. And uh, I mean, if I may add, um, what is interesting, maybe I think Brazil is an example and uh, maybe I can introduce a little bit what we have been working on more recently at ERCAS is a transparency index, also uh, collecting data on uh, real transparency in, in 130 countries. And Brazil is one of them. And we also have looked at other countries where you see, for instance, that uh, sometimes there is an effort in the past to uh, increase transparency and make more information available. There is great infrastructure that is created, but at some point it's, uh, this is not maintained anymore. So data is no longer updated and um, things just sort of fade a little bit because either there's some change in power where the political will is no longer there or maybe in, I, I have the impression from other countries that we have assessed for the transparency index uh, in countries that rely a lot of, on donor support, maybe financial support sufficient to, to maintain uh, this uh, data collection and publication is no longer uh, sustainable. So I think this is also one of the challenges, uh, not only to uh, have increased corruption, uh, increased transparency and, and, and uh, provide more data, but to have this also in a sustainable way over a long period of time so that people can rely that this data is there. This also makes me think a little bit uh, of strategies, right? Because um, if one situation that I that I that I saw a lot is uh, when you have uh, an administration, mostly local administrations, and they don't have enough personal or enough money or enough knowledge to to make everything open in a way that we would like to. And I would ask, uh, it would be interesting to know in your point of view, and, and then I include Mara also in this question, uh, what, what do you think it would be uh, uh, the, the main strategy? Okay, if we just can have something, some things open in a way that we want to avoid corruption and mismanagement, what this data would be and how it would be. Uh, um, because there is also, I'm sorry, I'm going to make another, another line of thought here. There's also a big difference between information and data. This, this is a lot, uh, Maya and I, we were discussing this while preparing this episode. So one thing is to, to have information this is good but data is something that is actually the information is not only a fancy name for information but the information that can be worked 
So there is a difference also here. So I would like to to uh, to know from your point of view what you would stress. Okay, if we could not do anything else, this would be uh, our main task. Whoever wants to answer this first. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I can just uh, bring up uh, a little bit about uh, this very new initiative that we have with the Transparency Index. I mean, I invite everyone who's watching to check it out on uh, www.againstcorruption.eu. It's uh, the T-Index. And there we, so the idea behind it is that um, transparency or like we consider transparency the availability of information so not data as you as you mentioned but information because we are considering what is relevant for the individual so not always this information is going to be able to be treated and used in large-scale analysis by researchers or by uh, or let's say by civil society or by uh, journalists but at the level of the individual, it's important that people have access to information that is relevant to them in different domains of their lives and that this is freely accessible. So this is what we look at and we have a um, so, sort of a questionnaire with 14 questions covering different areas, for instance, fiscal transparency. So how are governments publishing um, data on past expenditures and also current expenditures. So uh, is there a, a budget tracking tool that allows people to know what government is spending right now or maybe from last month? So something that is really um, updated, they understand how the government is spending money and how are governments, for instance, that donate uh, um, funds to other countries or, the, or countries that receive aid how is this money go, uh, being used and where does it come from or where, it is, where is it going? And for instance, there are other areas as well that doesn't, do not have to, uh, so much to do with um, public funds, but are also relevant information also to, to fight corruption. For instance, how is land registered? Are, is information on land uh, registries and, and titles uh, available? Can I know... For, uh, on a property, who owns that property, uh, because this also is relevant for people to even protect themselves from abuse, because maybe if you don't have a title of a property or if these records are, are not easily accessible, maybe there is also fraud and people can try to sell your land uh, and you, you end up losing from it. So th there are all sorts of um, uh, corrupt dealings also related uh, to, to land um, transactions. And uh, for instance, business uh, information on enterprises, the business register, do you know who, who owns a company? Who are the shareholders in a company? And this is also a field that is very relevant related to public procurement as well. Who are these companies that are participating in tenders? Who are their owners? And uh, also related to um, money laundering and uh, offshore accounts. And this uh, is data that is relevant in so many areas that uh, touch upon corruption and, and uh, several related phenomena. So we really checked uh, information available in these different areas according to certain requirements 
where we understand, okay, at least this type of information has to be available, visible, accessible without a cost. So I don't have to pay extra to have access to the record of a company to know who the shareholders is, but there's a database where I search the name of the company or even the name of the person that I'm interested in, and I can see where they're registered. So this is where, uh, what we're uh, looking at, and I think it's, I mean, it's something new. It's uh, something we, it's now out there and available for people to see and contribute. People from the countries that are covered in the index can also uh, reach out to us uh, with additional information. If there is maybe a source of uh, information that we didn't identify in, in the survey that we conducted. So it's something really that we um, now uh, um, appreciate having feedback on. And I think it's uh, nice to have as an innovative view of um, these um, minimum requirements of information that uh, people care about and that affect their lives directly. And, uh, and to think really about transparency, uh, not just in terms of what the law establishes, but how it really touches upon uh, people's lives. Yeah. Yeah, I think that this discussion about information and data, it's uh, really it's, uh, very related to who is the people you are providing the data, so the information, let's say, uh, because you, you can have data literacy or not. You may have, you may prefer have open data to make your own analysis, or you would prefer, if you're a citizen and you're not data literate, to have a tool where you can search for the information you want, you're looking for. So just as example, what we're, we have been doing right now with the salaries of judges and, and prosecutors, there is a tool, such a tool from the, the National Council of Justice that provide this kind of information. But you have to uh, search for uh, one specific month, one specific tribunal, and analyze this and download this information and repeat this, this, um, <laughs> this procedure to get open data, yeah? So for our use, uh, for our analysis, we want to have a huge uh, uh, information, huge, uh, a huge data, a huge uh, database on these payments. Uh, but it, it was made, think, uh, the, the tool was made uh, thinking on the, on, the, on the citizen. If there is this tool, is there uh, a open data, uh, uh, databases? Yes, of course, because this is where the source comes from, right? But it's not published. So a lot of, of our efforts is trying to get things that exists, data that exists getting published. And um, there, there are some difficulties, as Bianca said, uh, regarding in Brazil, uh, regarding to business information, nah? uh, to who owns a company, uh, and so that you can, can uh, use this data. But the information on, on public purchase is available. So, you have to 
a lot of time uh, cross this this different data, try some databases uh, 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 work that it's, uh, some database get pub get public so that you can use it and and cross the information uh, and cross the data to get an information. So. Uh, the, the information is depending on who is using it, so it's it's really uh, what you need for it. And, and you and uh, um, we talk a lot about data because we we will at the end not only have a tool uh, we foster open data because at the end we just don't have a tool in which the which was thought about someone designed by someone for a specific use you open the possibilities of creating other uses of creating other tools uh, and doing your own analysis right and i think this is, is this is the most interesting uh, when you can actually uh, with much less data uh, than the government uh, produce similar analysis as we have been doing with with social auditing like in projects like Obra Transparente, which uh, Bianca worked at. So we, we really had to, to push for more transparency to get the contract information in details as we wanted uh, in, in order to uh, uh, make similar um, 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 evaluations that the government could have done. But the government's too too small to to audit everything. So it needs to have to to have the support of the civil society uh, to to get things more uh, transparent and uh, and, pro and to promote integrity. But I don't know if I skipped your question actually at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I think I'll let Mara say something, but you didn't skip my question. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's, I, I think I wanted to just add to this because it's both really interesting and relevant. I mean, uh, Jessica and I were also discussing, yes, exactly what you guys said, um, the information is more that what the individual needs to know and then the data is for those who actually do the big analysis. Then we thought of examples of where we would say, hey, in the UK, they publish a lot of data and it's really nice. You know, you can go to the National Health Services website and you can create your own at least little table, if not visualization, it depends. And then we were wondering who does that actually, and wouldn't that person be also able to do that with a CSV uh, file and um, be more flexible because, you know, there's not so much flexibility in, in those websites where you can create your own. Um, and uh, yeah, so that there was always the question, who is it for and what do we need? And um, actually for me, it oftentimes coming back to the procurement um, data it, it it comes back to well 
if if you would ask me, I would like to see the information available in one side where I could see it, where I don't have to dig where's the information and have to go to five different websites because I have to drag it together. Um, it should be available and it should be uh, easily for me downloadable in a, in a format that I can work with. So that comes back to CSV then. And then I want to uh, be able to link it to other data. Uh, for instance, in procurement uh, um, uh, in, or in purchasing um, processes, it's really hard in Germany to link um, all data available to one specific uh, procurement process so it's it's it gets messy because you 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 know you have the pub, the announcement and then you have the tender and the award and you you have to drag all this together and sometimes you, one has been already um, taken down from the website and the other one is still there and then you don't know can i be sure that's the same process and is this really the company who got this or not and uh, so it comes to to also being able to get cleaner data and data that is easier to, to, to be compared. And of course, the information for citizens should also be available because that's a public duty. But uh, I think that digging deeper into this, we are already in a specialized area of people who are able to make or to create new information with the data available, like you do it in Transparencia Brazil, you take the chunk data and you create something that maybe the government could also uh, create but you're closer to, to the citizen and why not create information that the citizen needs i i mean if um just adding a little bit just as food for thought i think um in the end for instance it's very costly for an organization as transparencia brazil to do this and the government has a lot of more resources and then to because it is low cost for the government to dump big data sets on open data website and people can access it and it's great because then a lot of people can do different things with it but then if the government if we actually want government to provide data in an accessible and understandable way for the individual then they also have the burden of treating the data and making it really processable in a tool, which is a huge chunk of the work. So, uh, and I think it's uh, also important that we keep that in mind that the, the government also takes up their role to make the data useful and not just, because then in the end, the marginal cost of doing both, if you have a tool, if you provide a way of people of accessing the data in a meaningful way for specific thing that they care about, but then you also publish a, a, a CSV file, it's not much more uh, in terms of costs for, for the government, but then you, you have both options. And then actual people and in, individuals who need a specific information and cannot handle a big uh, file to dig into it and find what is relevant to them, they, they are also covered and, and they also find what they need. So I think that it, uh, we should uh, consider that uh, both things are, are to be expected for a government if we want a high standard of transparency, actually. Um, I didn't mean for inf basic information not to be available, just, to, but, you know, just the, um, in I, I would say it's an in-between um, service that you can create your own visualizations with it. And that I thought, 
is maybe not as necessary as having the basic you know search functions that you need but also the dump download of course because i agree totally with you oftentimes the government uses civil society organizations to actually do their work at a cheaper level and that's also not okay yes i agree I, I have some comments to do about this because I'm, I've made so many notes here. I like, first of all, I need to say that I like the perspective that Bianca brought when she mentioned the againstcorruption.eu project about uh, information as also a way to know our rights. This is something that Mara mentioned, uh, not, not here today, but uh, when we were uh, discussing this episode, oh, the information is a way to know your rights. So usually I'm, I'm more in the... Because, because of my experience also, I'm always in the way like, no, let's make everything open and, you know, innovation and yeah, but there is also, so maybe this both is strategies, right? So for, for, for a few things, we do have to have a visualization or facilitated visualizations uh, for, for the, 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 the common citizen. Because I think that is also a trade-off, right? Because if we're if we are always reaching the the final citizen, we might not be able to to write information, and then we have the problem that Juliana was mentioning. Okay, we do need to do all the work again in order to make a bigger analysis or see the bigger picture. But we can also not uh, forget that there is a citizen that at least a few things. Well, I'm not saying a few things in a way to to not make it important, but uh, I mean, there's a, a set of information that we need that the citizens have access, regardless of their level of expected data literacy. So I like that Bianca brought this thing, uh, brought this um, question, this, this issue, sorry, brought this issue back uh, to the conversation. And I really like, I, I was noting here when we were discussing um, there is a lot of UX problem <laughs> I will resume <laughs> in a way that uh, the it seems to me that sometimes the transparency follows the idea or the 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 degrees the whatever how we call it the 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 public administration it doesn't follow the idea of who is going to use the data but it follows the idea who produced the data. And this is a, a really big consequence of a non-data-driven way of work. And the state is a very old institution. So even considering that we had uh, a few reforms and of course, uh, <laughs> for example, Brazil is a democracy for a little bit longer than 30 years. And there was there were also in this the same time uh, bigger reforms in German uh, state. But uh, we still doesn't have a we still don't have a data driven culture, and I would add to that that it's it's uh, I read recently the 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 modification the project of law here in Germany that modificates the eGov gazettes and created the Data Nutzung gazettes uh, both here in 2021. And I don't remember in which one of them, I think is in the EGOF gazettes, there is like now a paragraph that says uh, somehow uh, governments, the public bodies must 
produce data already in a data-driven way. They must produce data in a way they can uh, make it digital and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, this article, I can research it better later, but it says like, don't produce this in paper and then scan it, but already produce in a way that you can make it transparent. And I thought that this was an advance, although it's still so broad. I don't, I remember in Brazil some, guidelines in this in this regard but i don't remember this being into a law i might be wrong juliana if if i'm wrong you correct me but i think i think this is also already a a, a step towards uh what we need which is okay we we need to be able also to drive in, outside in innovations my last comment i promise i will stop speaking but <laughs> but also what bianca said at, and now at the end like what is the cost for severe organizations to do all this work but why governments cannot adopt these outside innovations that's innov those innovations that are created outside governments why 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 cannot develop this together and i do think that in brazil we have some uh uh examples of this being made or at least a public public civil society partnership in which okay maybe the knowledge or the 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 way the innovative part of it is do, is it's outside the government but they are working together right so i mean why cannot incorporate those innovations what you mentioned now i think i don't know i i would like to hear your opinion on it but it's a, a point that i uh, mentioned earlier I think that in the end, you end up having the best efforts, the best initiatives for transparency and good quality data when the government itself is interested in using itself that data. Because then it, it makes an effort, the effort from the beginning to generate the data in a way that will be useful. So I think that countries where you have somehow developed in, in the last maybe decades, uh, the culture of more evidence-based policy to really collect data for improving public policy in general. I think this has been more success, successful to promote transparency as well. And where you don't have this, then everything is much more difficult and uncoordinated and you end up not having quality data from the beginning and things are um, sort of made available as an afterthought. So this is also uh, difficult. And um, I mean, in principle, data is important also for the, for the government itself to uh, just know how policies are being implemented, the results to evaluate things. And I think this has to do, um, transparency uh, has to do also with this uh, larger discussion on how governments handle all of these, the, uh, the need, their need of information and how they, uh, work with providing information for their own needs and not just not just the citizen, which of course is important, but then as uh, the better governments uh, respond to their own needs of having good information, the better are the, the outcomes in terms of transparency, I have the impression. And this is a, a point where we come to. So uh, if we don't have data on implementation, on policy implementation, this this shows us that actually government is not interested in doing policy evaluation. They are doing policy, implementing policy, but they are not thinking about collecting data to evaluate at the end. And uh, this is a huge problem in Brazil where you have 
over 5,000 municipalities implementing federal government policies. And you have like subnational, subnational government using federal money and the federal government does have no idea what they're doing with this money. And at the end, we also don't, do not know or we know just partially uh, uh, what is going on because it's really hard to track, right? So the, one of the, the efforts we have been doing with public purchase is trying to understand how money from uh, um, uh, public, uh, how to say, school food, school meals, right? From uh, uh, that were supposed to go to schools, how, how are they uh, being used by municipalities, what they are buying, in which quality, from whom. And then you should open, you're supposed to open 5,000 uh, different transparency portals <laughs> to, to get the data. And of course, this is impossible. And um, I think this, th th these are the, the, the kind of bottlenecks we have that is really related to Actually, the government's not really thinking. At the end of the day, you, you can have no other conclusion. They are, they are not really interested in, in evaluating this. At least uh, they don't do much to, to, to not even oversight is, so to promote the, the, the oversight. So the, the federal agents, which is responsible to finance this policy, they don't know as well. They also don't know. Yes, that I, th I think you're right. And just going back to the to my experience with the audit uh, documents that I that I analyze, there, you see that this is done also through the audits, but it, this is done at a very a much later point, and only on a sampling, uh, on a sample. So you don't really have a systematic way of evaluating this when when these audits look, for instance, at um, at the quality of uh, school meals or how the results or of the policies are actually, then it's also a very restricted way of uh, assessing this at all. And it ends up being in a format that is also not very useful for people to uh, uh, understand it in a very easy way because these are also 100 pages reports that not a lot of people are going to read in detail to find specifically uh, how certain policy in some municipality was assessed. So again, you have this, uh, you, you don't have a sort of coordinated effort to think about the information for the different purposes as from where it can be generated and serve then the government in, in other areas. And then it will also be easier to make it available to the citizen to also um, understand it and, and know what's going on. So um, it's, uh, in general, I think it's interesting to, to think about it in a larger way that um, transparency is embedded in, in really in, um, let's say, a, a more complex thing on how, how governments can, can handle data. Great, thank you. Um, actually, there's uh, one viewer that wants to have some hands on 
um, or more hands-on information from uh, both of you, I guess. Um, Vicente Monteverde wants to know what current big data tools um, are there to uh, for corruption prevention? What do you what do you see as uh, big data tools out there? I mean, what I know from some examples, as I mentioned, the the um, uh, type of analysis that is done with public procurement data. It's, I mean, I, there is at uh, the EU uh, level and some other jurisdictions the open tender open tender portal, but I I don't know if there's any other similar uh, tool extending uh, a larger uh, area um, with similar data. But there are uh, I know that there are similar efforts at at uh, certain in center in certain countries, and um, there I think. Um, you really need people to have some good level of data literacy to be able to work with this data, and then you can do a lot. You can even see, like, if you have really granular data on procurement, if you know the companies that are participating in in these um, procedures, if you can cross that with uh, the uh, Register of Commerce and, and the enterprises data, then you can really see do social network analysis and identify cartel structure and like do a lot of interesting things where you see a lot of uh, red flags for corruption and and how things can be manipulated in this uh, area of government but there i think it, the the barrier for using this data is quite high uh, so for i don't know what uh, what the purpose is in mind of uh, the the person who asked the question but for people to engage with this data there, it depends really on the, the quality of portals that governments make available. I mean, in, in some states in Brazil, you can search the data and you have more detailed information. I think for electronic procedures, you do have full data also uh, at the federal level. So you can do searches and you, you cannot easily aggregate the data but you can uh, see very detailed information on specific procedures. So if you're interested in a specific purchase or in, in a specific uh, air, uh, type of uh, product or service that is purchased, then uh, there are some um, tools from specific governments where you can find a lot of information on it. But to really... Uh, ah, now I, it occurs something to me that they do in Brazil even, and they do it at the federal level. They do use uh, the oversight institutions have uh, artificial intelligence tool that monitors this data, monitors even the texts of announcements. So there they can they do uh, a lot in terms of prevention because they can uh, flag potential irregularities. They can flag, for instance, specifications in the announcements in the terms of reference that may restrict competition. So this, this is a very interesting initiative that I know from Brazil, uh, who, which is being employed at the federal level currently, that works uh, well to prevent corruption. But I don't know to what extent this type of work is also applied in other countries. So I only have this, uh, this knowledge from, from this Brazil example. Yeah, I wouldn't have uh, examples outside Brazil as well, because we we are really devoted to uh, to promote transparency in Brazil. So, but 
for those who are interested, you can check out the the official either the official government websites for open data, or you have also organizations like Brazil.io, which uh, do a little a little service for us to in in cleaning and uh, preparing data and extracting uh, some some specific data that you can that you, you otherwise would need a lot of time to and, and a lot of space in your in your device to download and treat so this this can be very useful for those working with with um, Brazilian data and it seems like it's it's easy you can download all the information of of public purchases of um, payments as well but and and then you, what you have sometimes is like some bizarre stories that the federal government bought thousands and thousands of millions of condensed milk and nobody knows exactly why and what for and this cannot be right but it, it's there on the data but it's just um to show how difficult it is to produce or to provide correct information. The, you, you have a lot of money invested on this transparency portals and even journalists can get it wrong sometimes uh, because, it's not, because it's not their fault. If you are, we are talking about user experience and, and journalists cannot understand what's going on, it's just like, you're doing something really wrong. And we have been really for months trying to connect different database of the federal government to say who joined a bid uh, for a determinate agency and who got it and when it was paid at, at what price and uh, and make it the information useful to to, to public that wants to uh, um, do social editing on public purchase. So it's um, you have this this web all these websites and have these portals, but it's really a lot of work. I have a meeting to this afternoon here with the Minister of the Economy and the Controller General Office to see if I can get a little bit better, if I can understand a little bit better the the data. But they they are. Uh, doing a lot of work to to provide us i think um, uh, related to this point that uh, juliana made uh, it's worth mentioning that there is an international effort to um to make a, um how do you say like spread specific uh, procurement uh, publication standards uh, the open contracting partnership and uh, I think it's interesting to uh, for people to know that, I mean, in terms of strategy, I think it would be a good strategy for people locally to push for governments at different levels to adopt these standards, because this would already make things a lot easier. So this may be an example of initiative that already exists with a, a certain set of standards that's already being promoted and has already been developed. It all, it's already implemented in, in a number of countries, also in by subnational governments. And uh, it's something that I think it's uh, would be uh, a huge of a huge impact 
in terms of quality of data and in public procurement if more governments adopted so for people who want to um, do advocacy in this area i think it's uh, uh, something worth uh, pursuing and knowing about uh, because this would of course uh, uh, reduce a lot of the problems regarding this type of data thank you i think to just summarize this uh, quickly it's um maybe what we sent ahead in mind is is there a, a, like a fancy tool you know something to grab something hands-on and i think to summarize it's more about the information published when we talk about tools we mainly talk about portals which obviously doesn't sound as interesting and as fancy as we would wish but it's um a way to get the information and data that we want and need and uh, it it is available to online to everyone um, and should probably be readable to everyone and then as also Bianca said there's a shift I mean we technology you know advances and we are getting to a point where artificial intelligence will help and where we probably in the upcoming years will see more fancy big data tools that can emerge but we 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 need to, that information that is published as also bianca was saying now and also juliana we need it to be unified we need um a standardized version of the data that is published um yes uh, i and i think i mean it's we need to keep in mind that the fanciest uh, methods of and the fanciest artificial intelligence tools can only be applied with good quality data. So this goes back to the original uh, problem of uh, where this data comes from. But if we think then uh, from the perspective of the individual, it can make a difference from the individual to have a rudimentary search tool to just look for something that is of interest to them and they find the information, even if they cannot conduct super sophisticated analysis and cross different information. So um, even that is very valuable. But of course, if we think about the potential of data in this domain, then uh, really the sky is the limit. But then we have to really go back and think of strategies to ensure and or maybe uh, have more incentives at the level of government to, to produce better data. I think Bianca mute herself at the end. Do I said in the first place, maybe I could a little bit, but I was done with my. With my oh, okay. <laughs> I, I we're we're going to reaching the end of our conversation, and I'm going to actually go back a little bit uh, in the beginning of the the talk in which we were talking about. I mean, we just have elections in Germany right now. We are about to have elections in Brazil, although it seems like that we are having elections in Brazil since 2017, no, 2018 is <laughs> a non-ending election that we are having there, or at least a non-ending campaign. And I might mention that I love that Leite Mosa Gate was mentioned here today. <laughs> and I just wanted to say that. <laughs> but coming back to, to the... Um, to that beginning about uh, this moralistic approach of transparency, and this is this is a this was a huge thing in 2018 election. So I would I would ask all all of us uh, here in this in this panel um, if transparency in the perspective of the citizen, if the perspective of the the the, the person who's going to vote 
is more than a buzzword. I mean, uh, there is even there are we we all we can we could spend like one and a half hour talking about many measures that the Bolsonaro government made to increase the opacity at the national level, things that were already established and are not established anymore. And although he has one quote that is also mentioned, he also mentions a lot like transparency above all, everything, like it's just a buzzword. And it's easy to be a buzzword because sometimes we don't know what transparency is. Um, I would like to to ask you if if this was uh, if transparency, access of information, uh, was a theme here in German election, uh, especially Mara. I, I think we never discussed this so much. And if we see uh, Bianca and Juliana in Brazil, if do you feel that this discussion that we have about transparency pops the bubble outside of journalists and data? And information activists, open data activists, if the if if the WhatsApp group in our family are also discussing this, should I begin? Um, uh, well, so I would say that if you if you it, it depends on how you approach the the topics, right? If you ask uh, technical questions about freedom of information law, people may not know. And in the freedom of information law is is for sure uh, uh, a tool from of journalists and civil society who makes monitoring of the government. But when it comes to service delivery or things that will impact the the real life of the the person, they they might uh, need to to uh, search for transparency to understand certain things. For example, a mother who who is in the line for a public nursing which how long must she wait this this kind of practical questions will will lead to will link to to the question if the if there is transparency or not on the line how many people is it is this information published or not so uh, i think that people may not be aware of transparency because it's it's something that you just need to to get to get uh, to be aware of your right, as Bianca mentioned in the beginning, and uh, you are usually most aware when you don't have this information. And sometimes, pe sometimes people don't really understand. Uh, some citizens may not know that they have the right to information, as this may se seem to be technical, but actually they do have the right to know. And it's the right to know is a fundamental right. There is constitutional. There is um, it's a human right, and so but. At the end of the day, when it comes to certain rights and people being aware that they do have these rights, so they will have to know that they, they have the right to know as well. Yes, I think uh, it's really about awareness as well. I think that sometimes people are not aware that this can be so important to them and, and really impact their lives so directly. This is sometimes the case even with corruption, I think, that people sometimes see it as something very distant from their lives because it is not always very directly communicated how their child is not getting a good meal or any meal because of corruption. So sometimes it's just about a top-level politician stealing money to, I don't know, finance a yacht or something, and they don't really relate that to their direct, to their uh, everyday life. But uh, I think 
also uh, activists and, and the press can maybe make also communication effort to make this clearer to people, to make this connection and also between transparency and their uh, everyday life, how transparency can really impact them and how important it is. And so uh, I think this awareness point is uh, very important. In terms of the electoral context, it's difficult because these are questions, even corruption, although it's a very hot topic usually and very uh, discussed uh, in electoral contexts, it's um, it tends to become less salient than many other things that are also very important to people. So, uh, and I think transparency will rather uh, fall into that category and be a less salient uh, topic for people to consider. So I think that's why it, in, in terms of uh, elections, it doesn't really get a lot of attention or it has less meaning for, for voters because there are so many things going on, especially now, and uh, where other uh, other topics are so uh, prominent and so um, uh, polarized. So these are, are issues that tend to um, be less relevant for voters in this type of context. But I think a lot of work can, can be done uh, to raise awareness that this is important, that this affects their daily lives. I think I agree to, to I agree with both of you. It's um, I feel that transparency when it comes to like the general public is oftentimes not as demanded because it's not clear what the benefits are. But um, actually, just yesterday and or over the weekend and today there was uh, something. It's not linked to corruption, but it's to um, transparency and information transparency. You know, in Germany, there were huge discussions on the vaccines that uh, people would get on the different kinds of vaccines. And um, just at the end of last week, our health minister um, said that now more people would uh, get vaccinated with Moderna. And just today I read articles where it was explained because the general public was feeling really insecure because before that it was said everyone get BioNTech and then, you know, although it's also an mRNA um, vaccine, people were really insecure what that was all about. And today there was um, more of a transparency um, campaign explaining exactly why the Minister of Health um, took that decision that we had more of this vaccine available and it was really Really not a matter with which vaccine people would get but before that because of there was not enough transparency people were feeling insecure and actually um, because of that insecurity not demanding more transparency but uh, actually that was what they really needed you know to understand the whole situation and I think that's the case in a lot of situations where people are fed in, is are fed information and uh, some information is lacking and that kind of gap creates insecurities and a lack of trust. I I would I need to say that our time is over. Uh, I need to first of all thank you very much. I I I cannot stress how much I learned from you uh, Bianca, Juliana and Mara almost every day. Not every day right now because we're not seeing each other every day anymore but 
the experience that I have with you. It's always uh, not only a pleasure, but also really uh, insightful always to have these conversations. Uh, Mara, do, would you like to say something <laughs> as co-moderating today uh, to finish? That, the, that was the... really enjoyable. I wish we would be sitting together and I was actually hoping for more of this, uh, you know, tennis kind of thing. I play you the ball, you play me. It's a bit more challenging when you're not sitting in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> But it was really fun. I would like to uh, thank Juliana for being here today and also Bianca for being here with us, uh, especially consider that uh, your voice, I think your voice was great. <laughs> I hope you're not in pain right now. No, no, it's fine. I just hope that people can understand and hear me well. So it's fine. I'm doing well. My water is over, but I'll get some more now. But I mean, th thank you for the great discussion for leading this and it was a great topic. And uh, I think it was uh, really nice to Uh, exchange a little bit on on so many um, sides of of the of transparency and uh, many aspects of it. So I also learned a lot from from having this discussion with you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, Jessica. It was really a pleasure to be here. I, I'd like to say seated here with you, uh, but yeah, <laughs> and there's the squares. Um, and, and it's really, it's really nice to to have this opportunity to talk to you and Bianca again that I know for for so much time and to get to know Mara, and uh, yeah, it, it was really nice. Thank you for for this this conversation. And I would like to thank you who is watching us today for spending time with us. Data Talks is a series of talks between experts from Brazil and Germany, and today was a little bit of everything <laughs> Brazil and Germany at the same time, uh, who discuss the use of public data in today's societies. The Data Talks is an initiative from myself, Jessica Folk, as a part of German Chancellor Fellowship from the Alexander von Humboldt Foundation, and is hosted and supported by the Brazil Center of the University of Münster in the framework of the strategic partnership VVU.com. USP, funded by the DAD. I will see you on the next talk. Have a nice week. Goodbye. Bye.